turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. If you're wondering where the Gospel of Luke is, it is in your New Testament, second half of your Bible. The Gospel of Luke is the third book in your New Testament. And we're going to be looking at chapter 2 this morning, starting in verse 20, 21. And we are excited to give you the last special of 2018. We are doing a series here at Thrive. It's been called A Luke at Christmas. Everyone say, A Luke at Christmas. And we've had an amazing time over the past several weeks looking at the Christmas story and about Jesus' birth. And now that Christmas is done, you can see that, you know, we're getting ready for a brand new year now. The Christmas trees are off the stage. We've got balloons to ring in the brand new year. This morning, we are going to be doing a bit of a transition, something we've never done here before. Throughout. See, we've been looking at uh, the Christmas story, and we've been doing a series called A Luke at Christmas. I'm going to do th- something for the first time that I've never done before, is that in the middle of a series, we're going to pivot, and we're going to call the series something new. And it's because Christmas is over, we're into a brand new year. And so are you guys ready for the new name for the series as we continue with the series? Are you guys ready? The new name is called A Luke at Jesus. All right, let's give God a big hand for that. A Luke at Jesus. I said, come on, give Jesus a big hand here in this place this morning. So we're out of Christmas, but we're into Jesus. And uh, that's exactly what we're going to do this morning is we're taking a look, continuing our look at the gospel of Luke and a look at the Savior called Jesus Christ. And this message as uh, someone is one that I'm very excited to share with you as we begin a brand new year together. I call it from a God-sized hole to a God-sized hope. From a God-sized hole to a God-sized hope. Are you in a God-sized hole this morning? Maybe when it comes to your family, your marriage, your finances, when it comes to your health, the health of someone you love, maybe it's an uncertainty to your future. Maybe you're finding that you're lacking hope this morning. I hope that this message is going to be helpful for you this morning because we have a God who is able to take us from a God-sized hole to a God-sized hope. Turn neighbor and say, a God-sized hole to a God-sized hope. Can you tell them that right now? Let me begin with a question for you this morning. Is in your culture, whatever culture you may come from, whatever country you may come from, we've got lots of different multi-ethnic ethnicities here in our church. Are there certain customs or certain traditions that a mother is supposed to follow after giving birth to a baby in your culture? Is that the case? I know that you know, there are different cultures all around the world who have different names for it. In Japan, it's called uh, Sango Ni Hadachi. Uh, in India, it's called Japa. In Korean, I'm going to mispronounce it, it's Sam Chilil, which means 31, the first 31 days after a baby is born. In Latin America, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this one as well, uh, but it's La Quarantena, yeah, La Quarantena, which means the first 40 days when a baby is born. In Chinese culture, uh, there's a name for it, it's called Zuo Yuezi which means literally sitting the month. It's the first 30 days. And I remember, you know, when my wife and I were uh, welcoming our sons into the world, I learned because my, my wife is Taiwanese and, and she comes from Chinese culture and I, I'm, you know, Chinese, but I'm not so much into Chinese culture. And, and the thing is that we, uh, you know, had, these, had our first baby born six years ago and I learned during that time that there are certain customs in Taiwanese culture that are very important for a mother of a newborn baby to follow. For example, after a baby is born, the mother is not supposed to expose her body to any cold weather or to any wind. And so for 30, 40 days, you know, Charlene would be bundled up in these big robes and she wasn't allowed to go outdoors and she couldn't bathe and she couldn't wash her hair. All those things were discouraged. Some of you are thinking, man, you can't wash your hair for 30 days. That's like birth control right there. It's, it's just, you know, that, 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 and, and that's exactly what happened. I remember there's even one time when, you know, my, 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 my wife's parents or my, my in-laws, they're, 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 they're living with us, helping us take care of baby 
baby Bradley, our firstborn, and you know, and and, and my mother-in-law is very, very keen on helping Charlene with strict adherence, following every rule that comes with the customs and culture of Taiwanese culture. And 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 so she was like, you can't you can't go out, you can't bathe, you can't wash your hair. And so I remember there's one time I was upstairs in the in, the, in our bedroom, and, and Charlene she sneaks up to the bedroom, she closed the door, she locks the door, she says, shh, don't tell my mom I'm washing my hair. And she went and washed her hair. It was the most awesome bath she ever took in her life. Uh, you know, and, and that was not just, just, it was just not just that kind of, kind, of, kind of side, the hygiene part of it, but even the food you're supposed to eat. The food you're supposed to eat is supposed to have no salt. Uh, it's supposed to be very, very bland, very, very simple. And so while Charlene is eating food like, you know, like pork knuckle soup and, and black chicken soup, I'm going to Dairy Queen, DQ, or McDonald's, and I'm having the saltiest foods that the world has to offer. Uh, that's just the way it was. Why do I mention all that? It's because today we are looking at the first 40 days after Jesus was born. And we're going to learn that there are certain customs and traditions that Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, will go through as part of the Jewish law. And in the process of going through these different customs, Joseph and Mary are going to meet two very special people who are going to teach them and they're going to teach us this morning a lot about how to have God-sized hope when you're lacking hope in life. And so if you're lacking hope this morning, whether it's regarding your family or your future or your finances or your kids or your marriage or your health, if you could use some hope as we enter into a brand new year of 2019, then guess what? This message is for you. Turn your name and say, this message is for you. Would you read with me Luke chapter 2, verse 21? We're going to read the first four verses. I'm going to take you through it right now in a big, loud voice. Let's read it out loud. One, two, three. It says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Sometimes when I read scripture, I find that I just kind of gloss over it the first time. So let me just kind of break it down for you. What's going on in these first four verses? See, Mary and Joseph, they are Jesus' parents. They are going through the normal, traditional Jewish customs that go along with newborn babies and mothers. In verse 21, look at it. It says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. And so that's the first thing, is that the first custom was naming the child. And so in this case, because they were told his name is to be Jesus, the name Jesus means that God is salvation or that God saves, and that's very appropriate because that's exactly what Jesus came to do. If you believe that, say amen. That's the first custom is naming the child. The second custom is in here as well. It's the circumcision of the child. See, according to Jewish law, a newborn Jewish male baby was supposed to be circumcised on the eighth day of their life. Now, in case you don't know what circumcision is or you're not clear on what circumcision is, we're not going to go into detail about that today. All right? You can feel free to Google it, but I, would, I wouldn't suggest that you click on any images unless you and those around you are ready for uh, a little bit of a shock. See, suffice to say is I'm so glad that to follow Jesus, you don't need to be circumcised. And I'm so glad especially that, uh, yeah, oh, and all the men said amen. And, 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 and this, this is the thing as well. I'm so glad that here throughout church, we don't have to have circumcision ceremonies. Aren't, aren't you glad about that? Oh, you know, you know, Sam, because you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I now circumcise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ah, you must really believe in Jesus. 
Jesus. And then that's, that's the thing, is that circumcision was a second custom that was going along with newborn babies and mothers. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. See, there's a third custom here, which we call the purification of the mother. See, after the baby is circumcised on the eighth day, for the next 33 days, this mother cannot go out. This mother is confined to the home. It's just like my wife was when we had Bradley. She can't go out. She can't go outside. She can't wash her hair. She can just need stay in, stay at the home. And it was for her protection, apparently. And this is talked about in the first half, verse 22. And then the second half, verse 22, talks about a fourth custom, which is the consecration of the firstborn. This is where the parents would take their firstborn son. They would go to Jerusalem, to the temple, and they would dedicate the son to God. See, the Jewish law said that every firstborn male belongs to God. And so a Jewish couple would take that firstborn son, they'd take him to the temple in Jerusalem, they would dedicate him to God, they'd say a prayer with a priest, they would give a sacrifice on behalf of the son, and then they could take back the son to go home with them. And, and that's the consecration of the firstborn. Look at verse 23, what does it say? It says, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Last custom. We've looked at four so far. Here's the fifth custom. It's called the atonement of the mother. It's where Mary, who's just given birth, is now offering a sacrifice for her own sins. Usually that sacrifice was a lamb and a dove, a lamb and a dove. But the Jewish law also said that if you can't afford it, if you are a poorer family, you could offer instead two pairs of birds instead. And because Joseph and Mary were poor, they were peasants from a, a very rural town called Nazareth, they come to Jerusalem offering just a pair of birds because that was within their means. What can we learn from the fact that Jesus' parents and their newborn son Jesus went through all these customs and all these sacrifices? Here are two important lessons that you can write down. First is this, is that Jesus Jesus, the Son of God, was human just like us. Jesus, the Son of God, was human like, just, just like us. See, though Jesus is the Son of God, notice that Jesus was not given any special treatment or any special exemption because he was the Son of God. They didn't say, oh, because you're the Son of God, you don't have to get circumcised. Or because you're the Son of God, we're not going to dedicate you. See, rather, Jesus went through all the same customs that a young Jewish boy would go through so that he could identify with the people that he came to save. To, to save. If you believe it, say amen. Second thing we can learn is that only Jesus can offer the perfect sacrifice to God for our sins. See, what do I mean by that? See, here we have Joseph and Mary, who just like any other Jewish family, is going through a very complicated system of offerings and sacrifices. Their hope was that through giving these different sacrifices, that somehow it would protect them from harm, that somehow it might pay for their sins. But see, here's the thing. None of these sacrifices could perfectly pay for their sins. Why? It's because the people give the sacrifice were not perfect. And that's because every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us has gone our own way, done our own thing, done, done, said, you know, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I say. And see, the good news is this. While we could never give to God a sacrifice that is perfect, one day Jesus, the perfect son of God, would once and for all offer one perfect sacrifice on behalf of all of us. And his sacrifice is perfectly, completely able to cleanse us of sin. His sacrifice is perfectly, completely able to dedicate us to God. His sacrifice is perfectly and completely able to keep us from harm. And his perfect sacrifice also circumcises our hearts. And see, that's what Jesus does. Come on, give Jesus a big hand here in this place right now. It's his perfect sacrifice.
See, just like we talked about at Christmas service, you and I are not able to rescue ourselves. You know, with our good works, with our good deeds, with our good religion, with our good sacrifices, that, that, there's, that there's no way we could ever reach God on our own. But the good news is this. When we could not reach God, God reached for us. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins and to prove that he truly is the Son of God. Not only did he die, not only was he buried, but on the third day he rose again to life to show that he truly is who he claims to be. See, when we, when we were trapped in a God-sized hole called our sin. God came to rescue us with a God-sized hope. His name is Jesus. Come on, give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. Amen. I said give him a big shout in this place right now. Come on. Speaking of God-sized holes, would you look with me at Ecclesiastes 3, 11 right now? Reading a big loud voice, what does it say? It says, he has planted eternity in the human heart. See, this is one of for me, one of the most important verses in all the Bible because it tells us that God, from the beginning, has planted eternity in our heart. In other words, it's almost as if in your heart there is a God-sized hole that only God can fill. That that you can try to fill that hole with money, with power, with friends, with prestige, with status, with all the things that you think are going to make you happy, but you will never be fulfilled and you will never be happy because it is a God-sized hole that only God can fill. It's a God-sized hole. Turn your and say, it's a God-sized hole. And you know, one of the most popular movies of this past year, 2018, is a movie called A Star is Born. Uh, a hugely popular movie. Uh, and not only is the movie popular, but the soundtrack is hugely popular as well. Uh, some of the great songs on that soundtrack, uh, one of them, my favorite songs, and it's probably the most popular song, is a song called Shallow. And it's where Bradley Cooper, uh, he begins the song, you know the song goes, goes, tell me something, girl. Remember that? Are you happy in this modern world? Or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? And then Lady Gaga comes on the stage. And of course, her name is not Lady Gaga, but, but in, her, in her, her voice, in her lower voice, she goes, Tell me something, boy. Are you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? And see, what, what's the song talking about? This song is talking about the void that is in our heart and the search to fill that void. And that no matter how hard you look and how hard you try, the fact is you can't fill the void. It's because it is a God-sized hole that only God can fill. You know what's going to fulfill you in 2019? It's not a raise in your salary. It's not a huge profit in your business. It's not your kids getting to all the schools that you plan on getting them into. It's not, you know, filling your heart and your life with all this pleasure and entertainment and, and all the things that you think are going to make you happy. It's not your accomplishments and the stuff you get to put in your resume. You know what's going to fulfill you in 2019? You know what's going to fulfill and give peace to that God-sized hole in your heart and my heart? It's a relationship with God. There's nothing else that can take the place of a relationship with God. And you see, that sounds great. That sounds fantastic, but practically speaking, how does that work? How do you experience God filling the God-sized hole in your heart? We're going to talk about that and end with that this morning. See, how do you go 
from having a God-sized hole to a God-sized hope. See, in the process of Joseph and Mary going through these different sacrifices and customs, they meet two individuals that we're going to learn about right now. And these two individuals, they only appear in this portion of Scripture. They don't appear anywhere else in the Bible. And we're going to learn something about them today. Their names are Anna and Simeon. Everyone say Anna and Simeon. And we're going to meet them right now. Let's start with Anna. Let's go ladies first. Look at verse 36. What does verse 36 say? Read it with me in a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. See what's going on. See, there's this girl called Anna. Everyone say Anna. And she's not a girl anymore. She is 84 years old. And what happened with Anna is this, is Anna was married to her husband for seven years when suddenly, for reasons beyond her control, her husband passes away. We don't know if it's because of an accident. We don't know if it's because of a disease. But they say that losing your spouse can be one of the most traumatic experiences of a person's life. Anna was probably no more than in her early 20s when this took place. And yet she never remarries. And that's not because remarriage is wrong. Rather, it's because for the next 60 years of her life, Anna found her peace, Anna found her joy, Anna found her purpose, Anna found her hope, just being in the temple of God, worshiping God, and seeking his face. And there's a lesson we can learn from Anna's life, is especially if you've gone through huge tragedy, if you've gone through stuff that has really been devastating for you, is that there is no hurt that God cannot heal. That God is bigger than even the biggest hurt that we go through. Nothing is impossible with God. And see, if you want to go from a God-sized hole to a God-sized hope, there's one lesson I learned from Anna's life, which is don't live in the past. Don't live in the past. Turn your neighbor and say, don't live in the past. See, we can all be tempted from time to time to live in the past. What do I mean by living in the past? Well, let me ask you this question. Have you ever had jet lag before? Ever gone to, a, a, you know, gone to another country that's far away and you came back and, and because the other country was in a different time zone and you're used to living in a different time zone, all of a sudden you come back and you almost feel like you're in two places at once. Is that you know, you're, you're, you're here physically, but it's as if you mentally and, and even emotionally and sometimes even physically, you feel like you're in another place. And you can't really operate in a healthy way. You can't you know, really kind of function in a normal way. And how many of us know that living in the past is like the worst form of jet lag? It's like you are here physically in 2018, December, but somehow your heart is somewhere else. It's in a different period of your life. Your mind is somewhere else. And as a result, you have a tough time functioning in a normal or healthy way. Do you live in the past? You see, here are a couple ways that sometimes we can be tempted to live in the past. You can write this down. First is that we live in the past when we keep dwelling on past failures and hurts. You know, this is where you know, we have trouble letting go of yesterday's hurts, yesterday's failures, yesterday's disappointments. It's like you've downloaded into your mind this horror flick called yesterday's failures. And whether it's your own failures or it's the failures of other people, and you just keep on replaying that movie in your mind over and over, and as well, it's like you're stuck in the past. Has that ever happened to you before? Is that happening to you today? You know, I, I went through this when I went through my very first official breakup many, many years ago. Uh, you know, this last century, actually. And, uh, you know, and I, I remember, you know, we, 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 you know, this girl and I, we'd been dating for about a year and a half. And, and at, the, at the end of the year and a half, you know, we decided that, you know, it wasn't meant to be. And, and we decided to, to end things. 
And for the next eight months, I just kept on dwelling on the disappointment. I kept on dwelling on the heartbreak. I kept on dwelling on the guilt and the shame of this thing not, break, not, not working out. I kept on dwelling on, 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 the, on, on this, how bad I felt about breaking someone's heart. I, I just kept on dwelling on these things. And every romantic movie I watched reminded me of the hurt. You know, every love song I'd hear in the gym reminded me of the hurt. Every letter of hers that I would read and reread would remind me of the hurt. Now, here's the thing. Don't get me wrong. When you go through something that is heartbreaking, when you go through something that is difficult or sad, there is, of course, a natural grieving process that you and I need to go through. But this was going on way too long. It was eight months into it, and, and, and you know, people were even coming to me and finding me in my home when I'm cooped up in my, you know, my, my fetal position. And they're like, JB, what is wrong with you? It's time to move on. And you know when I finally did move on? I moved on finally when that girl called me up one day and said, hey, hi, JB, I just want to let you know that I'm dating again. And I was like, okay, thanks for letting me know. And at the, at the, at the end, of it, I realized, you know, I really got to move on. Anyway, I took all those letters that I'd been reading and rereading, I took it, put it all in the box, and I recycled them to be environmentally friendly. And, 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 and not just that, it was so that I could not be living in the past anymore. Turn your say, don't live in the past. Let me ask you this question today. Is there a past failure? or a past disappointment, or a past hurt, or a past mistake that you made or someone else made that you keep dwelling on to this day, and you beat yourself up over it. You're like, oh, why did that happen? Or you beat someone else up over it, and you're like, why did you let that happen? You see, here's the thing. For as long as you keep dwelling on the past, that past hurt, that past failure, you're going to find this, that you can't move forward, that you can't enjoy life because you're stuck in the past. So what can you do if that's you? You can write this down. To stop living in the past, remember that in Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness, healing, and power for a new start. See, the Bible says that when we had hurt God with our sin, God didn't live in the past. He didn't just get stuck in the past and go, this is how you hurt me, this is how you violated my commands, this is how you broke my heart. No, instead, he said, I'm not going to be stuck in the past. Instead, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to forgive you and me of our sins and to give us a brand new start. Jesus died on the cross so that even our biggest mistake, our most gravest sin, and our deepest hurt could all be forgiven and healed. If you believe that, give God a big hand here in this place right now. There is healing where there's Jesus. And so instead of continue to remind your husband of all the ways he failed back then or continue to remind your kids of all the ways they failed two years ago, continue to beat yourself up for all the ways that you made these mistakes, instead look to Jesus because Jesus Christ gives forgiveness, he gives healing, and the power for a new start. Yeah, let, let, me put it, let me put it another way for you. is Don't let yesterday's hurts hold you back from today's blessings. Don't let yesterday's failures, yesterday's disappointments, yesterday's tragedies keep you from enjoying the opportunities and blessings that God has for you today. We're moving on to 2019, people. If you're going to still be stuck in 2018 and all the things that went wrong, guess what? You're going to be stuck in the past. You're going to be living in the past. But God didn't make you to live in the past. He made you to live for today. Amen. Amen. That's the first way that we can get stuck in the past and live in the past. There's a second way we can do that as well. Write this down. We live in the past when we worship yesterday's happiness and yesterday's success. Has that ever happened to you before? You know, growing up, one of my favorite music artists was not Whitney Houston. I loved Whitney Houston. Not Mariah Carey, though I loved Mariah Carey. Uh, not Wilson Phillips, though I really liked Wilson Phillips. Not New Kids on the Block, though I kind of, you know, admittedly, kind of liked New Kids on the Block. The, 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 the one artist that I was really into that influenced me perhaps more than any other music artist was the Beatles. 
even though they broke up years before I was even born. And uh, I would also often be listening to Beatles music, even th- to the point where you could almost tell me the name of the Beatles song, and I could tell you the album and the track number. That's, that's how much I was into Beatles music. And, and see, here's the thing is, they, they've got so many famous songs, but one of the most famous songs, uh, it's the most covered song in music history. Do you know what it is? It's called Yesterday. You know the song? Yesterday. All my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. And what's that song talking about? It's talking about how yesterday life was so much better. Yesterday I was so much happier. Yesterday everything was so good. And you tend, we tend to sometimes take that mentality into life as well, don't you find? Is that, oh, yesterday was so great, today is so awful. Last year was so great. Today and this year sucks. 2012 was so amazing. 2018 is the pits. You know, oh, life was so much better yesterday when I lived in that city or when I was going to that school or when I had that job or when I was with that person. Oh, life was so much better yesterday. Have you ever done that before? You know, I was reading this one interview with a fairly famous celebrity. She's on TV a lot. And she was talking about how there was this one time when she was going through these old pictures of herself. And she's sitting there with her husband, kind of scrolling through all these old pictures of herself. And she's telling her husband in this kind of complaining kind of voice, she's oh, look, look how much younger I looked back then. You know, look at my hair. It was so, so much nicer back then. Oh, look at our kids. They were so cute back then. Oh, we just seemed so much happier back then. And the husband looks at her and goes, come on, girl. Are you kidding me? She's like, back then, you hated your hair. And, and back then, you hated how you looked. And back then, you hated how you were so busy with, and so stressed with kids. You're like, oh, I can't wait until our kids grow up. Stop worshiping the past. See, that's a classic example of how we can just say, oh, life is so much better yesterday. And what we're doing, really, is we're just living in the past. Look at Ecclesiastes 7, verse 10. What does it say? It says, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. See, here's the thing. God wants us to learn from the past. But he doesn't want us to live in the past. Whether it's failures of the past or it's victories of the past. See, what's the problem with worshiping the past? The problem with worshiping the past is this. Is when you're so focused on the past, you can't appreciate the blessings and the opportunities that God has for you today. Plus, not only that, it keeps you from experiencing anything new in the future. Because you act as if the best is behind you. When here at Thrive, we always say, the best is yet to come. See, what can you do if you live in the past? Well, here's one thing you can do. Write this down. To stop living the past, recognize that in every new season, God is doing new things. In every new season, there are new blessings to thank God for. In every new season, there are new opportunities to make the most out of. In every new season, there are new adventures to go on. It's because in every new season, God is in the business of doing new things. If you believe us, say amen. And that's why every week, you know, I I take a lot of photos. As I told you guys last Sunday, I take a lot of photos, not just selfies, but photos of my, you know, of of different things I go through. And I, I find this is that every week I have to upload or unload, you know, photos and videos from my phone to this other system that I, that I keep all our memories in. And, and, and why is that? It's because I'm making room for something new. If, if I just kind of kept all the old memories, then what's going to happen is going to fill up and I'm going to have nothing, I'm going to have no room for anything new. In the same way, question for you today, what are some old pictures or some old memories or some old experiences or some old images that you need to unload so you can make room for the new things that God wants to do in your life. 
See, God wants to give you new dreams. He wants to do new things. He wants to put new images and new visions in your life if only you will stop living in the past. You know, Anna didn't live in the past. She chose not to. She could have. She could have said, oh, you know what? My husband passed away, you know, 80 years ago or 60 years ago or 50 years ago, and I'm just going to stay in my God-sized hole called grief. I'm just going to stay in my God-sized hole called bitterness. I'm just going to stay in my God-sized hole called self-pity or loneliness. But instead, Anna refused to live in the past. Instead, she said, you know what? I'm going to make the most out of today. I can't change what happens yesterday, but I can do something about today. I can't do anything about what's behind me, but I can believe for the best and believe the best is yet to come, and that's exactly what Anna did. She was that, that's why she was one of the first to spot something new that God was doing when Jesus entered the temple. Look at verse 38. What does it say? It says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. If your Bible's in front of you, why don't you underline those two important words, looking forward. Looking forward. See, Anna wasn't looking back. She was looking forward. She wasn't stuck in the past. She was moving on. And the same way, if you want to go from a God-sized hole to a God-sized hope, it's time to stop living in the past. Instead, believe that God has greater things in store for you today and tomorrow, and that the best is yet to come. If you believe it, come on, give God a big hand. Let's shout right now. You know, we've had an amazing year in 2018. We've seen God do some amazing things. We've seen record numbers of people come to Jesus. We've seen, you know, uh, you know, attendance records of ours being broken, you know, week after week. But, see, I don't want to live in the past as if the best was behind us. I want to believe that because Jesus is with us, that the best is truly yet to come and that even greater things are ahead. But in order to get there, I can't live in the past. I can't stay in 2018. I need to move on to 2019, and that's what we can learn from Anna. Would you turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, and say, stop living in the past. Amen. Is this helpful in this place this morning? Moving on, what can we learn from Simeon? We learned something from Anna. What can we learn from Simeon? Why don't you read with me verse 25 and and forward on. And let's go. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his, ch- his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own heart. To see what's going on here. What's going on? See, there's a man, an old man called Simeon. Everyone say Simeon. Simeon, he has been waiting for this Messiah to come. And see, what is the Messiah? See, all these years, for centuries, the Jewish people have been waiting for a very special person to arrive. His name is the Messiah. This Messiah was a saving king who would be born among his people, a descendant of Israel's greatest king, King David. He'd be born of a virgin. He'd be born in the city of Bethlehem. He would raise up to be an amazing man who lived an amazing life, and then he would die for the sins of his people, only to rise again to life and to sit at God's right hand. These are all prophesied about centuries before Jesus is born. 
and here, this is Simeon and his fellow Jews who are waiting for what's called the consolation of Israel. They're waiting for this Messiah to finally come. And for some reason, Simeon, he senses from the Holy Spirit that even though he's old, he will not die before he sees this Messiah with his own eyes. And so while Mary and Joseph are in the temple courts with newborn baby Jesus, Simeon senses the Holy Spirit tell him to go to the temple courts. He senses the Holy Spirit. Maybe he's just walking down the street and just all of a sudden senses the Holy Spirit say, hey, Simeon, hey, Simeon, go into the temple courts. You're going to see something special. And so he's like, okay. He goes into the temple courts, and there he sees Jesus. And there's just something about him that touches his heart. He takes Jesus in his arms. He thanks God for Jesus. He prophesies blessings over Jesus. He even blesses his parents. And then Simeon will go on his way with God-sized hope. And see, let me ask you this question this morning. How was it that Simeon realized that this baby Jesus was this Messiah that they've been waiting for? How was it? Was it because this baby Jesus was wearing a very cute onesie that says, Hi, I'm the Messiah? Is that why? You know, party at my crib, you know? Or what, what, was he wearing a bib that says, this mess, courtesy of the Messiah, right? Or, or what, what was, what, what, were his parents wearing t-shirts saying, proud parents of the Messiah? Were, were, they wearing, were, were they holding up signs that said, free photos with the Messiah? No, they weren't doing any of those things. And so how was it that Simeon was able to discern that this baby Jesus was the Messiah, whereas others could not? It's because he was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe me, look at verse 25. Look at verse 25 with me once again. What does it say? It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Everyone say the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. What does it say? It said, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Everyone say Holy Spirit. Verse 27 says, Moved by the Spirit. He went into the temple courts. Everyone say, Moved by the Spirit. See, what's going on? It's because Simeon had a close relationship with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that he was able to notice when Jesus was there, whereas other people didn't notice. And what's the lesson there? The lesson there is this. You know that the Holy Spirit is working in your life when your eyes are open to who Jesus is. You know that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is working in your heart when all of a sudden you can see Jesus in a way you didn't see him before. And see, since Jesus is our God-sized hope, this coming year in 2019, if you want to experience God-sized hope in your life, it's about learning to grow your relationship with the Holy Spirit. You see, last week, we were at our Christmas service, and it was just had an amazing time celebrating Christmas together. And there's this moment, this beautiful moment in our Christmas services at both services where, you know, we give uh, an invitation for people to receive Jesus. And so many hands went up. People raised their hands with tears in their eyes, and they said, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me from my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And, and you know, if you were one of those, then that is amazing. Come on, give God a big, big hand for all the people who received Jesus last week. I said, come on, give God a big hand for all the people who received Jesus last week. And let me tell you this, if, that's, if that was you, if, that was, if you were one of those who received Jesus last week, can I tell you this? That wasn't just you being emotional. That wasn't just a sentimental moment. But that was the Holy Spirit working in your life. That was the Holy Spirit revealing something to your heart that maybe you didn't realize before, is that you and I, we all need Jesus. And see, the Holy Spirit... 
He's opened your eyes to who Jesus is. So can I encourage you, in 2019, continue to grow this relationship with God. Continue to grow this relationship with the Holy Spirit. Here at Thrive, we are committed to helping people grow in their relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, there was what, we, we had something here at Thrive this past year called Thrive Disciple School, and we have two levels of it, three levels coming soon. And there is one student who wrote about how she experienced more of the Holy Spirit. She said, one of the most impactful lessons I learned this past year is I gained a greater understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how he helps my relationship with God. The time I experienced God most was after the prayer meeting asking for the Holy Spirit. Although I didn't feel any different at the time the following week that session uh, the, uh, the following week of that session i felt a sense of inner peace that i haven't felt before especially in the midst of school and midterms i will definitely seek more of the holy spirit now you know let's look at romans 15 13 what does it say it says may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow by the power of the holy spirit if you want to not miss every blessing that God has for your life in 2019. If you want to experience God-sized hope in 2019, then foster a close relationship with the Holy Spirit. That means get close to God. Don't be afraid of him. Start reading your Bible. Start studying your Bible. Learn to pray. And there's one more thing we're going to do if you want to foster a close relationship with the Holy Spirit. We're going to end with that right now. It's number three. Write this down. Is plant yourself in a good church community. See, if you want to experience every blessing that God has for you, then this last point is actually so very important. See, one final reason why Anna and Simeon experienced God-sized hope in their lives was because they were committed to the temple where they worshipped. Look at verse 37. It says this. It says, She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. See, for Anna and for Simeon, the temple in Jerusalem, that was their church. That was not just a building, it was the community of people who would worship together. And because Anna and Simon were committed to that community, they experienced God's hope in a powerful way. It was in that community that they'd have people speaking to their lives, reminding them of who God is. It was in that community that they could sit under the teaching of God's word. It was in that community that they could feel God's presence in a powerful way. And being part of that community infused their lives with God-sized hope and enabled them not just to be blessed, but to be a blessing as well. Could you imagine if Mary and Joseph decided to skip church that day? Could you imagine? Joseph says to Mary, hey, babe, you know, it's, it's, it's really far for us to go to church, especially with the baby here right now. It's like, I know he's the son of God, but man, it's, it's kind of tiring taking care of him. Can we just skip, skip church today? Let's forget about going to church today. Can we do that? Can we do that? And, and, and Mary might be like, you know, hey, like, you know, I, 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 Joe, I'm, I'm looking at our bank account, and, and we, we're, we're scratching it pretty thin right now. You know, uh, it's really tight right now. Our camel's broken. You know, we need it fixed. And, and it, let's just skip going to church. Let's skip giving an offering. Let's just, let's just do our own thing today. But for some reason, for some reason, both of them said, you know, we're going to be committed to our church community. And so they decided they make the, the, the trip several miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. There they worship. There they give their offering. There they do their normal church thing. And yet as they do, they experience blessings that they never expected. Simeon comes up to them and speaks words about Jesus that Joseph and Mary so need to hear. You know, Anna comes up to them at that very same moment and says similar words to them, speaking life into their lives. And just reminded us that just as God used Simeon and Anna in the lives of Joseph and Mary to speak into their lives about how special Jesus is, so you and I, we need to be in a community where we can be often reminded how special and powerful and great Jesus is. Amen. That's why we have church together. And see, not just that, but not only were they blessed by these words, but you, 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 I don't know if you know the chronology, but many scholars say that was after they went to this temple 
that they went back to their home. And it was then that those famous wise men, those magi, we three kings, you know, they come up to them and they give them offerings of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In other words, Mary and Joseph, they say, you know what, I don't care if we've just got a little bit. We're going to offer the little that we have to God and trust he's going to provide. And when they get home, they get even more than they could possibly give. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. What does that show you? What does that tell you? What does that teach us? Is that when you seek God's kingdom first, he has everything that you need. You can never outgive God. And so this coming 2019 year, let's give our very best to God. Let's seek God's kingdom first knowing that when we are committed to our church community, when we give God our best, when we don't worship the past, when we don't worship our feelings, but we worship Jesus Christ as Lord, he will add everything we need and more. If you believe it, come on, give God a big hand here in this place right now. He will provide for you just as he provided for Joseph and Mary, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, even materially. He will provide all that you need when you seek God's kingdom first. Turn neighbor and say, let's seek God's kingdom first. In 2019, let's seek God's kingdom first. You know, in the same way, this year, let's not neglect the house of God. Let's be committed to our church community. Let's seek God's kingdom first. Let's honor God with our lives. And when we do, we'll find there's so much blessing that comes with all of that. Amen. Has it been helpful for you in this place this morning? And so that's, that means, practically speaking, those of you who are not in the habit of going to church, I want to encourage you to go find a good church to be part of this coming 2019. It doesn't have to be Thrive. If you don't have a, third, uh, uh, if you don't have a home church, we'd love to be your home church. But, you know, it could be anywhere. Find a good church where you can be a part of, that you can grow with, so that you can experience every blessing that God has for you in 2019. If you're not part of a small group, encourage you to get part of a small group. It's there that you will be able to so, experience so much more of the life that God has for us. One final picture for you, and we're going to close. You know, uh, when I think about Anna and Simeon, you know, the, the romantic matchmaker part of me would want to kind of read into the story that, you know, Simeon comes up to Mary and goes, oh, can I hold him? Oh, sure, sure. Can I hold him? Oh, oh you're so cute. You're so beautiful. Starts prophesying over Jesus. And then at that same moment, Anna comes up at that same moment, and she's like, she starts prophesying over Jesus as well. And they're both looking at Jesus, but all of a sudden there's a moment where they lock eyes. And maybe baby Jesus snaps his fingers and harps start to play. And then they're like, I'm sorry, do I know you? (laughs) Oh, don't worry, I've noticed you. And they go hand in hand, walking into the sunset with God's eyes. So I I would love for that to be the story. You know, kind of, kind of. But why is it that that never happens? Why is it that's the last time we ever hear of Simeon and Anna? It's because the focus is not on Simeon and Anna. The focus is Jesus. See, if you want God-sized hope in 2019... Don't focus on the people around you. Don't focus on the circumstances around you. Focus on Jesus. He is our God-sized hope. He is our God-sized joy. He is our God-sized peace. He is our God-sized provider. He is our God-sized protector. He is our God-sized purpose. He is our God-sized rock. He is our God-sized protector in every single way. Come on, give Jesus Christ your God-sized hope. A big hand, a big shout in this place this morning. Tell your neighbor, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. 
When you seek God's kingdom first, he adds everything you need. When you seek God's kingdom first and you receive Jesus and what he wants to do in your life, what ends up happening, the void in your heart, the God-sized hole is filled with a God-sized hope. Let's all stand in this place. Turn neighbor, give him a high five, a handshake, a warm hug, and just say, God has a God-sized hope for you. Come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place this morning. Let him ask the team to lead us in a song. Let's worship Jesus in this place. The first thing we want to do is we want to give an invitation to those of you who are here today and you've never received Jesus Christ into your life. And perhaps this is the first time you ever heard that God loves you, that his love for you is not based on your performance, not based on what you did last night or what you said this morning, but that God's love for you is simply based on who he is. And the Bible says God is love. And here today to prove to you how much he loves you, sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. Long before you ever thought about him, he sent Jesus Christ so you could have a way back to him. And if you've never opened up your heart to Jesus, it's as simple as praying a prayer. When you open up your heart to Jesus, you receive a peace that the world cannot give. Your sins are forgiven. You have security in your life, your purpose, your joy. And if that's you and you want to receive that today, I'm going to invite you on the count of three just to raise your hand to God. I want to pray with you and for you to just pray a prayer to invite Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to fill you with his Holy Spirit. If that's you and you want that on the count of three, why don't you just lift your hand to God right now. Just lift your hand to God right now. Don't worry about your neighbors doing You just lift your hand to God right now. Praise God. Anyone else? Just lift your hand to God right now. Praise you, Jesus. Anyone else? Don't, no one looking around. This is between you and God. If that's you, you know you need Jesus to, to, to forgive your sins this morning. Why don't you lift up your hand to God? And let's all just pray aloud in this place. Repeat after me. Those who prayed this prayer before, let's pray it in support of those who are praying here today. Let's say this. Dear, say, say, Dear Jesus, I need you. Thank you for your amazing love for me. How you died on the cross to pay for my sins. How you rose again to give me life. Today, I confess that I am a sinner who needs a savior. Please forgive me my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you that starting today, I am a new creation. I am a child of God. I am forgiven of my sins. I am a citizen of heaven and the best is yet to come. Thank you, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout together right now?